Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I know it's been a while since we talked, so I kind of wanted to give you some life updates. I was working on some licensure situations and I was having some issues at home, things like that. I ended up moving and buying a house. Um, I had some job changes and I also went traveling for a little bit. So I had to take some time off in between and uh, just kind of regroup, regather myself before I came back to the show. So without further ado, we're moving on. So today we're going to be talking about aspirin, um, and we talked a little bit about heart attacks in previous episodes about the heart and how plaque builds up, causing narrowing of the vessels and you know risk for clots and all the all of the shebang. But I had a conversation while I was traveling, and we were going over a lot of stuff. Just just you know one of those in depth conversations. You're talking about the TXA, the TPAs, strokes, and heart attacks, and you know, people taking prophylaxis and all of the stuff. And it just went into this big stream of things that ended up talking about aspirin a lot. And I thought to myself, we were traveling with a lot of newer providers that really didn't understand that some medications are, are truly more beneficial than they are harmful. Now, the golden rule with any medicine is that there's always a negative side effect or a negative downfall to look for. Um, with aspirin, it's a little bit different. So let's let's kind of dig into it a little bit and talk about how this simple medication just really changes the game for a lot of people. So today we're going to talk about aspirin, but we're going to be talking about its effect with the heart, right? So specifically, whenever you're having a heart attack. So what is aspirin, right? Aspirin is a platelet anti-aggregator. It's also an NSAID or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So picture it like it works like an ibuprofen in the same way. But it makes it very beneficial in the first few minutes of having an MI. Now, where I mentioned TXA and TPA and things like that, don't get aspirin confused because it's not a clot buster, right? It's not gonna be like the TPA and the TXAs where it, it assists them along or the, the formation of clots or it helps to destroy the clots or break down the, the outer linings of the clots and stuff like that. So it's not a clot buster. So get rid of that idea, kind of get it out of your mind. The best way to look at aspirin in the MI case is that it's more of a clot slicker because it makes the heart, or not the heart, but the, the clot really hard for more things to pile onto it. Now, it is really important especially in the patients that have, you know, an 80% occlusion, 75% occlusion, you know, a large occlusion that's not completed because that aspirin will make it so the blood passing through will be able to reach the outer lining portions of the clot and actually still perfuse and go to the places it needs to without building extra on top of it and creating a complete occlusion. Now, this is really important for the early stages, right? So smaller clots equals more perfusion, right? If you increase the clot size, uh, it will it'll cause a, a perfusion loss, right? Which is what the, the thing we're trying to mitigate with these patients that are, um, you know, having heart attacks or having, you know, uh, suspected for generics that we're gonna say prophylaxis for for right now. But the secondary benefit of that is it reduces inflammation in that area. So more swelling, equals less blood flow to the vasculature, right? It's because you have narrowing. If you have, you know, tissue that's swelling around, the vasculature itself will just kind of narrow down because it's just getting squeezed, it's getting compressed, right? The, the outer lying portions of it are pushing it inward. 
So when the tissue expands like that, you have reduced blood flow, which automatically is gonna reduce perfusion. So think about that as far as, you know, it works on a two-way two spectrum here. Now, this is where we distinguish uh, between using aspirin and emergency versus daily prophylaxis. Aspirin is made in a few different forms that are meant to be used in different ways. So in the emergency use, we, you know, we use non-enteric coated aspirin, like the baby aspirins and things like that. Because whenever you take it, it releases early and absorbs within a few minutes, you know, it absorbs into the mucous membranes, it goes down, hits the digestive tract and the initial parts of the digestive tract with the, the acid and everything, it helps to break it down and start to get the benefits of it very early on. Enteric coating, which is usually labeled by like EN or EC on your bottle and stuff like that, um, it usually takes between 30 to 45 minutes to start absorbing. And it starts absorbing in the small intestine, but what, what the whole objective with enteric coating is, is for the prophylactic use, right? You get a little bit more out of having the coating on because it waits to fully absorb until after it hits one of the, the majority absorbing organs in your body. Now, the coating itself, like I said, it's meant to stall the early absorption by stomach acid. And keep in mind, if you are a provider and you need aspirin quickly for a suspected MI and do not have your usual supplies, some coating is kind of hard to tell. And you're going to want to use, you know, non-enteric coating because if you use the enteric coating, it defeats the purpose of the whole, you know, 10 to 15 minutes that you want to get the initial aspirin on board to be able to reduce the size of this clot or at least continuously make the clot small enough to where you can perfuse the area and cause less damage over time. But some of that coating is is really kind of hard to tell, to be honest. I mean, if you see, especially the older ones, they weren't like those plastic looking capsulized ones and stuff like that. They were all pretty much look like pill forms. So a good way to tell, um, there, there's kind of two options. So check brittleness, right? Check the brittleness of the medicine by rubbing the medicine on your glove fingers there's powder residue then it's that it's not coated also check the bottle for you know like i said the, the ec or the en most of the time that's the easiest way to do it if you are unsure or if you're a new provider and you're kind of still in that middle where you don't know like the the pill form and the capsulized and this and that and all this other stuff and you're still trying to figure out the best option and you're learning about your absorptions then just kind of use the brittle test, you know, rub in your fingers, see how brittle it is and stuff like that. If you can get a large amount or at least a moderate amount of powder coating uh, residue on you, then it's safe to say that that is probably going to uh, be non-teric, right? So the enteric coated aspirin is usually for like the over-the-counter use. Um, this is what people take a lot for prophylaxis. You know, it's just to prevent disease processes. So people that have a higher risk of MIs, they, you know, have either had MIs in the past or they have stents placed or they've had like cabbage done. Some people use it for that. Or if they're just generically high risk, you know, some people are genetically prone to having clots formed, stuff like that. Um, the bypass, the bypasses are probably one of the more common ones that I've seen in the past few years. But non-encoded or non-teric coded, they also use for home use too. So it really just depends. Some people get a prescription that's non-teric coded too. But weigh out the benefits if a patient has recent injury surgeries or any other very bleeding, 
related, you know, events. It's, it's also important to note that the patients with anemia might have more severe reactions to aspirin. Now, you got to think, when we're talking about disease processes and things like that, you know, a, a big thing in emergency medicine is weighing out the, the cost, right? So if I give a medicine, it's intended to fix something that's going to be more dire than the medicine could probably have a side effect on, right? But if you have a patient, let's say you're in a field, and I, and I tell this story all the time, I had a provider that I was working with, I was training um, on a truck, and this has been years ago now, but she was going to give Tordol because the patient was having back pain, right? Now, we all know Tordol is just a big inset, it's just like your ibuprofen, it's just super big. Uh, but she was going to give it to a patient that was having back pain. Well, we were called out there because this patient fell down two flights of stairs. But there's an association with medicine that a lot of people look over. Um, and you, you associate certain things with, you know, using certain medications to fix the issue. So when we talk about Tordol, you know, everybody's big on, you know, systemic inflammation, back pain, right? So previous injuries to your back and stuff like that. Well, whenever you give Tordol to somebody that is now injured because they fell down two flights of stairs, you reduce the ability for them to go through the natural bodily process of creating that inflammation, right? If there's a bleed, it could start the clotting process and things like that. You're reducing and slowing down the, the body's natural response to that. Would you be able to deal with the pain initially? Sure, it absolutely could work. But is there a more effective medicine to give that would be more useful and have less risk with it? Absolutely. Aspirin is similar in that way. Anytime that you're gonna affect the hemodynamic state of a patient, you wanna be prepared for anything or any outcome that could come of it. So whenever it comes to giving aspirin for post-op surgeries and things like that, you just wanna be a little bit more cautious and you wanna be able to weigh out the risk versus the benefit. But to put it in perspective how important this medicine is and why the AHA's recommendation has been 10 to 15 minutes for years now, it's because using aspirin, the mortality rate for MI patients reduces by 95%. That is a huge number. Medicine is usually running at 50s and 60s at best. You know, by the time FDA approves everything and by the time all the surgeries and all this other stuff happens, usually at that point, a patient's mortality rate may be reduced by 50%. And that could be on a good day. But something as simple as using aspirin early on with an MI decreases it by 95%. So that is, that is amazing, right? Now, the longer that it's withheld, which is why they want you to do it from the first onset of chest pain within 10 to 15 minutes, is because of the fact that it decreases drastically the longer that it's withheld. Even receiving aspirin after two days from the onset of MI will still reduce it by a lot, though. So keeping a comparison, after two days, an AMI will still be reduced by 22%. That is how important it is. Now, this medication is by far the wonder drug of emergency medicine, and the argument could be made that it is more impactful than probably any other pre-hospital for MI. I personally think it is. I don't like to follow the algorithms either, and what I like to tell people is that you need to really weigh yourself as a provider um, because whenever you start getting into like the algorithmic thought process, right? Now, of course, if you're using it for testing, if you're using your, you know, your face or your Cincinnati stroke and stuff like that for diagnosticking, that works well because it's a good guideline. So you're not just kind of 
going with emotions and figuring out little bits here and there and stuff like that. But as far as giving medicines, try to always avoid using algorithms for each patient. If they're having an MI, their MI is different than the next person's MI. And that's something that you have to consider whenever you are weighing the cost versus the benefit. Somebody that is chronically hypotensive, multiple surgeries, multiple stents, all this other stuff, might not need a MONA algorithm as much as they need a modified, right? A modified adjustment like we talked about with understanding the heart. They might need something different like fentanyl or something like that versus using morphine, right? Of course, you're using oxygen, but how much oxygen are you going to give? You know, why, why are they oxygen deprived now? Is it because they're post severe cardiac damage? Is it because it's early onset and they're compensating early on? Are they in early stages of cardiogenic shock? And so you're going to titrate your oxygen effect for that too. You don't want to overload them and cause vascular constricting. You don't want to overload with morphine and cause the respiratory drive or cause vasodilation everywhere. Aspirin's the same way. Although it has very little side effects and things like that, and almost none in these patients that you really care to know about, you still want to weigh out the options, especially if you're using it for prophylaxis for anything other than an AMI. But anyway, guys, that's pretty much everything that I have for you today. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you for staying with me for so long. I want to say that even though I had taken off for some time, um, the followers kept increasing, you know, the views kept increasing. I actually hit my view record overall, um, last month in one day than I had in any other day previously when I was posting on a regular basis. So to that, I want to say thank you guys a lot. When I started this, uh, account, it really was just more to just kind of do something for some basic providers and maybe some, some mid levels and stuff like that coming in to help understand the clinical side medicine and especially you know applying it to emergency medicine but there have been a lot of people that have reached out to me a lot of people that have talked to me through this process and that have really just been just been amazing about it um so i want to thank you guys so much if you liked what you listened to today i'm going to start posting more again now that i kind of got a little bit more stable and i got back from traveling and everything like that and you know saw the world a little bit got tired and decided to come home so i appreciate you guys if you want to learn anything or want to hear anything, anything specific, don't be afraid to reach out to my email, emergencymedical101 um, at gmail. And thank you guys so much again. I appreciate it. Y'all are amazing.